Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. You guys are doing well. This morning I'm going to start a new series. I didn't think it was going to be a series, I thought it was going to be a sermon, and then it was turning into a three-hour sermon, so I decided to make it into a series. Um, on Easter Sunday, I'm going to start a four-month sabbatical, and it'll be my first true sabbatical in nearly 28 years of ministry, and I'm incredibly grateful to our church for granting me this season of rest. Um, I've, I've been shown a lot of grace and a lot of support. Many of you have expressed um, that you're happy for me, and that has helped me enter into this um, period of rest with a clear heart. And a lot of pastors I know enter their sabbatical either burned out or feeling really guilty that they get this break, um, but that's not how I'm feeling. And I, I just want to say thank you as a church for giving me the freedom to approach it that way. As I've been thinking about and getting ready for my sabbatical, something has been weighing kind of heavy on my heart, and that is that I know almost every one of you works really hard at what you do. I mean, I've actually experienced, I've visited some of you in your workplaces, seen you at your job, and I see how much you pour into what you do for a living, how many people's lives you're touching, how much good you're doing. And the thing that's weighing heavy on my heart is I wish every one of you could get a sabbatical too. I wish that uh, every one of you worked in an industry that would afford you a three-month break from work just to center and rest and be refreshed. As much as I wish that for you, it's not feasible for a lot of you because of the, the line of work you're doing. And while you might earn much more than a clergyman, and that's compensation for that, I still think it would be awesome if you were able to get that break. So I've been thinking about that a lot, and it occurred to me that while you may not get a sabbatical, every year God invites each of you 52 times a year into the experience and practice of a small break called Sabbath. It's one in every seven days that the invitation of God is extended to each of us to get a small taste of the kind of rest and peace in which he wants us to live. Not a peace that we make for ourselves by doing everything well, but a peace that is given to us and received as a free gift. I think each one of us really needs that. The title of the message, oops, is... So the title of the series is Shabbat Shalom. If you have any Jewish friends, you've probably heard that phrase. It is the phrase with which Jews all over the world greet one another as they're entering into Sabbath. And it literally translates to Sabbath peace. It's a wish to another person that as you enter the Sabbath, you would experience the deep peace or shalom which God intends for us as his beloved. And shalom, though we translate it from Hebrew into the English word peace, is a much deeper word than just peace, the absence of conflict or 
um, quiet or stillness. It, is, it was really captured well by a theologian uh, with the name Cornelius Planting. He said, Shalom is the way things are supposed to be. It's the way things are supposed to be. It's the peace when creation works together in the way that God designed for it to work. Without sin and conflict and pride and hurt getting in the way of all that. When things are just the way God envisioned when he made everything at the start. That peace is what we seek deep in our hearts and find such trouble um, grasping onto in everyday life. In preparing for the sabbatical, I realized that I can't start April 8th getting ready for a four-month break and expect that to become anything more than just time away from work. So I've been preparing my heart for it, and a part of that has been reading a number of books on this idea of the theology and practice of Sabbath rest, and it has been really good for me to think about some of these things and begin on my Sabbath day of Monday to practice these things. Your Sabbath day, most appropriately, should be Sunday today. It happens to be one of my work days, and so Monday becomes for the pastors our Sabbath day, or in Pastor Frank's case, Friday. Uh, he's, he's kind of flipped his rhythm, and so Friday is his Sabbath, Monday is mine. And it's a day where we're meant to set aside time away from our regular responsibilities to seek the peace that God has in store for each of us. Two of the books I've read in the last week that have been really enriching for me are a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan and Subversive Sabbath by A.J. Svoboda. Both these books have um, triggered some really interesting thoughts and convictions for me and uh, have really helped me get my own heart ready for the practice that is coming. What's interesting is that Sabbath and sabbatical, as you might have guessed, are based on the same root word. They are related words. In a sense, a sabbatical is an extended Sabbath. So the main difference between a sabbatical and a Sabbath is simply duration But in essence, they're meant to be the same thing. And that's an awesome idea that even if you are in an industry that will not afford you a sabbatical, every year you get 52 small sabbaticals. A seventh of your life can be spent seeking this kind of peace and receiving it as a gift from God. I love what Mark Buchanan wrote in his book, The Rest of God. I don't think it's possible to benefit from a sabbatical if you've never learned to keep Sabbath. Sabbatical is just doing daily for several months of days, which you've already learned to do weekly for many years of weeks. I think that's great. And that's been really convicting for me because I don't always guard my Sabbath with the best discipline. Sometimes it's just the day off of work. It's a day for catching up on all the things that other people have been waiting for me to get around to. Sometimes it's a day for me to just veg out and get lost in mindless activities that actually take me nowhere, um, but allow me to stop thinking about anything important. I don't think there's anything evil in all of that, but I don't think it's the Sabbath which God had in mind. And so it's been good for me to think that well before I start my sabbatical, I can begin now honing this practice of weekly Sabbath keeping. On the Sundays that I have remaining before I, I leave for this break, I want to preach a series called Shabbat Shalom. 
And I want to explore with you different aspects of Sabbath and the way that God intends to bless and enrich our lives as we stick to observing this Sabbath as a rhythm in our lives. Did you know that Sabbath or Shabbat in Hebrew is a word that literally translates to cease, desist, stop, or rest? Uh, you, you could joke that it's literally a cease and desist order from the God of heaven to tell you, I know how you feel, but at one day out of every seven, you absolutely have to stop working and striving. I know that you can take things further. You can rise higher. Maybe it's built into your identity and your sense of worth to keep working, 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 pushing, pushing, striving. I've heard pastors with spiritual nobility say, I will sleep when I get to heaven. I will rest when I'm dead, as if that's a badge of spiritual honor. I've felt those thoughts myself. Feelings of gladness, even pride that my calendar was full, that I'm really working hard, and yet there's something really broken in that approach to life. And don't get me wrong, God has an extremely high value he places on work, and especially on hard, fruitful work. But his, his design, his intent, is that one day out of every seven, we should rest from everything that we call work in order to, to present ourselves before him with open hands and open hearts to receive the gift of peace, which deep down we've been chasing whether we know it or not. It's what we all want. It's probably why most of us work so hard is that we think that if we work really hard and get the things that hard work affords us, we'll finally attain this kind of peace, wholeness, deep down we've been yearning for. I want to make two observations this morning about the rest aspect of Sabbath. So today, I'm only going to focus on one aspect, and so please um, trust that I'm going to reach the other aspects of it, the deeper aspects later. But this is, for me, the necessary precursor to anything else related to Sabbath is that we learn to cease from our work one day in seven and learn to stop striving and struggling to build the life we want for ourselves. First observation is that rest is God's design. I was taught by certain influences in my life growing up that rest is the design flaw in human beings. But it turns out if you read the Bible carefully, it's actually a design feature in the heart and mind of God. We're supposed to rest not because we're flawed and lazy and weak, but because that's exactly the way God designed all of creation to exist. When you look at Exodus 23, verses 10 to 12, here's what it says. For six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the, harvest the crops, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days, do your work, but on the seventh day, do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, 
and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. The idea behind this passage is that when God created everything, he built into that creation by design even before sin touched creation. Even before sin. He designed everything he made to require periodic rest. And the divine rhythm he happened to choose is one in seven. So that people and animals require deep rest at least one in every seven days. And the soil of the earth itself requires rest for one year out of every seven. Do any of you have a farming background by any chance? I'm really taking a stretch here asking this group, but some of you might, maybe grandparents. Soil, when you grow the same crop year after year, it leaches the same nutrients out of that soil until it depletes it. And so the only way to restore the health of that soil is to leave it fallow for a year so that the wild things that naturally grow will grow and then die and then sow those nutrients back into the soil. The earth itself needs to breathe and recover It can't just keep going on and on and on. Everything that God designed requires rest. Not because it's lazy, not because it's weak, but because it is the way God intended all of us to experience existence itself. To accept this design from God is to acknowledge that we're limited and finite. We actually need this rest. I have a curse called insomnia, and I've had it for a really, really long time. That's why I hate reading that verse that says, God grants sleep to those he loves. (laughs) I'm not sure what's wrong with my heart, but I have struggled with sleep for so long. And there was a point in my life where I could function kind of on a par with most people on about four hours of sleep a night. And I just think how... Maybe I could have risen to greatness if I had slept eight hours. I don't know. But, you know, like, I would take pride in the fact that I can function on so little. As if somehow I had a genetic mutation that allowed me to rise above other people. Nothing could be further from the truth. That was my particular form of brokenness. And it's something that I really, really am regretful over. I wish I could change it. I wish there was power in me, and I continue to pray and hold out hope that God will fix this problem in me. But it's to accept God's design that we cannot just simply keep pushing and pushing and pushing without consequence. That you cannot squeeze more out of this life simply by dispensing with rest. I wish I could do that. There's something annoying to me, something perplexing, about the fact that God designed us so that one-third of our short earthly existence should be spent unconscious. In fact, I think that is actually at the heart of my insomnia, is this idea that for a full third of my earthly existence, I'm effectively dead. That seems so unfair. I wish instead that God built us with no need for sleep, so that if I'm going to live 80 years, I get a full 80 years, not this ripoff of 60-something years, because half of it, like, I'm, I'm in bed. And yet, that rest absolutely imposed on us without choice is part of God's clue to us how he wants to, us to experience existence itself. 
I've shared before with you that CNN reported back in 2018 that American workers left 768 million vacation days unused that year. And at least a third of those did not roll over at all. They were just forfeited. Billions of dollars in benefits just thrown into the trash can. The only industrialized nation that takes less time off from work than us Americans, can you guess who it is? Well, you think it's Korea, but it's not. Because they have to drink and then get the hangover and all that. So they actually take some time off. But you know who's crazier than the Koreans? It's the Japanese. The only country that is more committed to life, identity, and worth wrapped up in work are the Japanese. It's not uncommon for, for corporate workers at every level of an organization to have a minimum work week of 60 hours. Minimum. If you're working 60 hours, that's like, oh, you have a job. <laughs> Not, oh, impressive, you're, you're just employed. And the system is built in such a way that if you do anything less, you're not going to make it. It's not possible to swim in that pool on any less effort than that. It's not uncommon if you're walking around Tokyo to see what you think is a homeless person, but is actually a well-employed corporate businessman in a a full suit with his briefcase, sometimes his phone lying open, just passed out sleeping because he can't take it. He can't even get to his train. He's so tired that as he sits down to wait, he passes out and wakes up the next morning. There was a Polish photographer who walked all over Tokyo, and he has a collection of photographs of these guys, and some of them are hilarious. They actually fall asleep leaning against garbage cans, like standing on their feet asleep. That is, to me, a picture of what it looks like when you try to deny the natural rhythm which God built into the design of all of creation. In fact, it's not just sleeping on the floor that is epidemic, but it's starting to kill people. There is so much stress related to work that it has led to a huge spike in heart attacks, strokes, and suicide directly related to the stress that comes from working too much in their business. It's so prevalent now that in the 1970s, they actually invented a word for it called karoshi. And in 2020, a couple of years ago, that work-related, overwork-related, it, karoshi, it translates literally to death by overwork. And it claimed nearly 2,000 lives just in 2020 alone. See, God's design and the world's design are not the same. The world in their rejection of God has built systems that require ridiculous amounts of activity and work to perpetuate. And one of the things that we need to be careful about, even in our, you know, and if, if we feel this in church, you guys must feel it on steroids in your workplace. Because even in the church, we're recognizing how much the, the amount of work our team has to put in is based on expectations and metrics we imposed on ourselves. We have to get all this done this way to this level. And in some cases, it's exhausting us well beyond what is warranted. It is not easy to live by Sabbath rhythm in a world that's not designed for it. Where to do that zealously will cost you. It will cost you to go backwards a step in your career, in your prosperity, quite often. And so Sabbath rest and ceasing from work isn't just an exercise in obedience, but an exercise in faith, because you have to trust that if I actually adhere to this, 
that I'm going to stay employed, that my family will continue to eat, and that I will somehow find my way to the peace which God promised. It's hard to believe it, and in part, if we're honest, it's because being on demand, being needed seven days a week, feeds something in us. Yeah, I, everyone else will take a break, but I can't, because, you know, I'm, I'm employee number six here, so I can't take a break. That's the great irony, are the people who rose to the very top are the most enslaved to their work. The ones who should have worked hard enough to have options and freedom have none. It's the line worker who gets to go home at five. The one who owns the business doesn't ever get to rest. Aren't we doing something wrong when to rise to the top is to become in bondage to the very work which you have produced in this world? It takes faith to stop working even for one day. And I know that's not easy. I worked in corporate America for four years when we were starting this church. And I can tell you that even a few hours pulled away. It was like you're in a race, and the second you stop running, everyone else zooms ahead of you. It sucks. It's a terrible feeling. The question God is asking by his very design is, do you still trust me to have you? If you don't live by the world's design, but decide to honor mine. You know, when I see societies trying to build systems that cannot be sustained without this kind of denial of God's limits. When we sacrifice sleep in order to do our work. And then afterwards, we come home from long work hours and pack in as much enjoyment and diversion as we possibly can. Have you ever just been in your bed watching something? You're like half falling asleep. You're like, I'm going to get to the end of this episode because darn it, I need my me time. And we're just squeezing in as much as we can into every 24-hour period, very often sacrificing sleep as part of the process. When I see this, I think what it reflects is the distorted relationship with time and limitations. And I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Do you know that sleeping less than five hours a night increases your mortality rate by 15%? According to Harvard Medical School, I think they're kind of reputable. And that was really bad news for me to read. Did you know that losing a couple hours of sleep a night impairs you about as much as drinking to the point of being legally drunk? And yet we're sacrificing sleep in order to have the fullness of life we think that we want because we simply don't know how to stop. Shabbat, Sabbath, is the Hebrew word for stop, to cease rest. And that is harder for us to do than you can imagine. And if we struggle just with that first step of it, because can I tell you, the ceasing from work, the resting from that is just the precursor to the deeper blessings of Sabbath. You can't get to the next step without doing that much. But if we can't do that much, we're really sunk. And yet even that first step is so difficult for those of us who live in the industrialized West. I think this obsessive running hard 
reflects a really distorted, broken relationship with time and our mortality. It's the wrong response to the fleeting shortness of life. When you think about how few years you really have on this earth, I'm 55, so I'm definitely counting my days and my years. I'm numbering them. I'm realizing that, um, you know, that word over the hill when I was younger, I didn't think much of it. I get what it means now. There's like this hill that marks the halfway point, and you're climbing, climbing, climbing until you're the midpoint, and then once you're over the hill, it's like a much faster accelerated ride, whee, to the end. And you're past the hump. You're past the midpoint. I'm there. And the temptation then, in, in the face of our mortality and the shortness of time on this earth, is to maximize the utility of every second obsessively. To squeeze that apple for every drop of fruit I can get because I don't have much left. And what God says is, I've designed you this way in part to cause you to hunger for eternity and to learn to have a right relationship with time and mortality and to turn to me. I will, And that's why the promise of eternal life, life without end, is such great news because we're so haunted by this idea that as we get consciousness and we're alive, it lasts such a short time. If we're not careful, we will greedily try to squeeze everything we long for out of this first run on this planet, not recognizing that the promise of God is an existence that never ends, in which we will walk with him and he with us without end. We number our days on this side of eternity. But there will come a day when our relationship with time will totally change and we will stop counting days and we will simply live fully engaged with our existence. I cannot wait for that day to come. And one day in every seven, we're invited to taste that, to practice it just a little bit. I'm looking so forward to exploring the other facets of Sabbath with you because I think they will enrich our understanding of why this rhythm is such a blessing for us. Let me conclude with the second observation for today about rest. First, that it is God's design for us, not a weakness or a flaw, but also that it is God's gift to us. I think there's two kinds of people in the world, those who yearn for rest and find they can't get it, and those who think of rest as a limited wage that is earned as the reward for hard work. I think a lot of that has to do with the parents who raised us. We attended the parenting class, the first session of the parenting class this past Saturday, and I'm just reminded how almost all our issues come from our mom and dad, and we're returning the favor to our children. (laughs) It's pretty hard to think about, but it's very convicting for me. And many of us picked up along the way that rest is a necessary evil. It's a good reward, but you don't get it until you work hard first. Work hard, work hard, and then if you worked hard enough, you get a bonus of rest as a treat. I think that's why we have such hang-ups with rest. Why we have such a hard time receiving it as God's gift. Because we feel guilty if we have it. It's like a wage we haven't earned And yet, look at this crazy observation from Genesis 2. At the very beginning of everything, 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Which is a weird thing because God wasn't tired. I mean, he's not resting because he's limited and finite. But there was a reason he chose to rest that day. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's the first thing that God calls holy in all of existence is that day set apart for resting. Later in Exodus 31, we learn an interesting insight that on that day, God himself experienced refreshment. That the the seventh day, the final day of creation, was not a day of work. It was a day not of working on creation, but of enjoying and living in creation. Seeing all the things he'd made coexist in harmony without necessarily function or purpose or work, but just being exactly what he wanted it to be. You know, when I get food from a nice restaurant and the presentation's really nice, I'm kind of OCD. I actually feel guilty eating it. It looks so pretty. I don't even like stirring it up. My wife doesn't, she's very pragmatic. She doesn't have the problem. She just stirs it up right away. I'm like, I got to photograph it. I don't want to touch it. It's like God made this beautiful thing, and then before he set it in motion, he just enjoyed it for a day without labor. When I make a painting, one of my favorite moments is after it's done, I like to just stare at it for like an hour. Just so happy that it's done, that I made it, that it looks nice, and I just like enjoying it. And I think there's another way to do art where you just finish, throw it in a bin, and move on to the next picture. Where you're slavishly producing and never pausing to enjoy truly anything that you've made. God sets the example by resting. And here's the crazy thing. Think about this. The, The six days where he did work culminated in the climax of the sixth day when he made what? People, right? Adam and Eve. So the first full day of Adam and Eve's existence is not a day of work. What is it? It's the day of rest. From the very beginning, the first conscious full day for the man and woman is a day of resting in creation, not of laboring to earn the rest, but of being in rest with God as a gift of celebration, not as a reward for hard work. I think the reason some of us are so neurotic about finding our identity and worth in work is because someone taught us that's how you know you're worth anything, is by what you produce. I'm not saying God has anything against production. Production is good. Work is holy. But it is really flawed to find your sense of worth in what you produce in the world. If you truly believe that, then you are one step away from a a works righteousness that will destroy the work of the gospel in you. The worth we have is not based on what we produce, but on what we receive from God. And that begins with a day of quiet rest. And we don't work so that we can rest. We rest so that we can work. Not from a place of slavish bondage, but of joyful belonging in and to the God who made everything. I'm going to let that sit for a minute because for some of us, we're wired in a way that even now, your mind is actively sparring with me. I got a rebuttal for you later. Like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. That's okay. We can, I'd love to have that dialogue with you. 
because it's possible I'm missing something. But when I look at the way that God did things, rest is presented to us not as a wage, but as a gift. Now, this resting from work, this ceasing from our daily jobs, it goes beyond physical rest. It is what creates space in us for the much deeper blessings. But the rest itself is an inherent intrinsic gift too. Because we actually need to stop working for a whole day. And can I tell those of you who are really, really hard workers, when God says a whole day, he means like a whole day. Not, all right, we've rested, now back to work. That's enough resting for you. Unless you want to be God's superintendent and tell him, God was just kidding, guys. You know, we've, we've had three hours. That's enough. Now, play, I understand, right? Playing all day is not the whole point of the Sabbath. But resting is. And those who find a slavish worth and identity rooted in what you produce have to wrestle through this idea that God proclaimed one full day out of every seven full days to be a time of rest received as a gift from him because he loves you and he cares for you. This ceasing from work every seven days creates the space for us to draw closer to God, closer to other people, even closer to the lives that we are building as we walk with him. I, I don't remember who wrote it, but I remember reading these words, and it really affected me years ago, that each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Man. And now, listen, there are people who want to feel closer to God and are struggling despite their efforts to feel that. But what this author meant was, if you feel far from God, <clears throat> likely the first culprit is the lack of intent to rest in him, to approach him, to pursue him. God does not seem to be wired in a way that he runs around ragged chasing people who are running away from him, but he loves to approach those who sit still before him and wait, who seek him. The refreshment we're meant to have on this day of rest is what refuels us to tackle the work which honors God that begins tomorrow. And most of us, just raise your hand if this is the case for you. Even though you technically work Monday through Friday, you really have a six-day work week. Anyone? <clears throat> yeah, amen. I think that's enough. Don't make it seven. Now this, again, I'll say it, in no way diminishes the value God places on work. Work matters to God, and not just the work in the church, your work, what you do for a living, the lives you touch, the things you produce, the way in which you do that work, whether you work for a company or you work for your family, your work matters. It honors God. It's pleasing to him. It's important work. It's not just that the Sabbath refreshes you for more ministry in the church. The Sabbath refreshes you for the work, which is the substance of your waking life. And because your work does matter, God intends for you to be refreshed enough to do that work with excellence and joy in a way that confers life to that work and not just drudgery. 
No one understood this idea of rest as a gift better than Jesus himself. There are a number of occasions where he presents rest to his followers as a gift of grace. Most clearly is this invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do those words weary and burdened describe the way you're feeling? I hope some of you are actually in a really good place. But as I talk to people and as I think about my own state of being, I wonder if you could relate to this. When's the last time you remember feeling totally rested? Like totally centered, caught up in everything, okay with it all, at peace deep inside. All is well with the world. Nothing more is needed. When's the last time you felt that? deep inside. We were meant to experience that every week. Some taste of it. That's the invitation. And it's not something you strive for, another thing you have to do. All he says to get that gift is come to him. That's it. Come to me. Open your hands. Stop whatever else you're doing and just come. This rest which you so yearn for is mine to give you. The only thing you have to do is come ready to receive it. It's a gift, not a wage. So as I wrap up, let me give you a couple practical things because often at the end of a message, you're like, okay, great, I'm convinced. What do I do tomorrow? What do I do next Sunday when I set up the Sabbath? Let me give you some practical things just in terms of ceasing from work and resting, just that part of it. And one is just disconnect. I don't have my phone on me, (laughs) but that thing is a chain, isn't it? And like a fool, I bought this thing. (laughs) And now, not only does my pocket vibrate, my wrist vibrates, it invades my consciousness like six times an hour. Hey, 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 all the time. There's a time when in the midst of really hard ministry, Jesus did what we all should do. He ran for the hills, literally. He got up very early in the morning, and while it was still dark, he went up, left the house, went to a solitary place, and he prayed. Not the furious prayer of God, give me, God, give me, but it's just he sat with God, he's praying because he's so depleted. And guess what happens? Of course, like so many of us, we don't have Simon, we have our phones. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, what did they exclaim? Can you relate to the way Jesus felt? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Don't you need to get that? It might be something important. Oh, you're needed. They need you. Someone else needs you. And it's just slavery. And six days out of the week, those alerts are a real gift because they help me stay connected to the work I'm called to do. Just like you. I miss less things now than I used to. Because of those constant reminders. But one day in seven, you and the rest of creation can live without finding you. You can be hidden away in Christ for one day in seven. This would be extremely hard because how many of you have said this? I left my phone at home and I feel what? Naked. What a weird word. I don't know where you're wearing your phone, but... like. People say, I left my phone at home, I feel naked. I don't think that's 
what that device was meant to do was to cover us in some way, to make us feel whole. One day out of every seven, I think it's okay to put that thing physically somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying, you know, like bury it in the backyard under soil, but maybe don't have it in your pocket. Pastor Frank really gave us this, me this recommendation, said, why, why don't you share this with them? On his Sabbath, uh, at sundown the day before, he powers down the devices, he disconnects from everything. That's why I can't ever reach him. <laughs> Sometimes I try to violate his Sabbath and it doesn't work. The man's disciplined. It's what he does to guard this time is he doesn't give himself the option to let that thing pull him back in. I don't know if that feels too much for you, but one thing I find helpful is to take the phone and just charge it somewhere else, on a desk, in my bag, anywhere where it's not on my person, and say, if I really need to use it like a device, I can get to it. But it's not meant to use me all day long. Everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Even on your day of your needed, I don't care. I got to believe that the world can exist without you and me for one day out of every seven, as important as we are. So here's what I say. Make yourself inaccessible and communicate and set expectation to everyone around you. If you try to reach me on Sundays, you're just practicing. It's not going to work. I'll get back to you Monday because that's when I go back to work. Granted, some of you are in industries where lives are at stake Please don't do that if you're on call as a doctor. Like, that's terrible. Use your judgment. But you know what I mean. Choose a Sabbath day and guard it. Number two is declutter your schedule. Every time we get empty space, we somehow obsessively want to fill it to the max. I'm so guilty of this. Blank space in my calendar used to offend me. That's a lost opportunity. We could be doing something. Now it's like blank space makes me so. Look at all that. See, this physical rest, rest is actually what creates space for the deeper blessings. And you won't get that space if every time you're not working, you're pursuing something else with vigor and intent. There are things we should do on the Sabbath. It's not like a day of just laying around like a vegetable. But be careful how you clutter your life on the one day in seven where you're meant to rest. Jesus, after his, after his disciples returned from a heavy period of ministry, they were excited to report everything they did, but it says so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Now, my view of a spiritual leader is food later, ministry report first, right? Isn't that the way you grew up seeing like ministry leaders, pastors, like, like food is for the week, let's fast for an hour, you first tell me everything God did. Here's Jesus God in the flesh, and he goes, dudes, you haven't even eaten. You look really tired. Why don't we go away by ourselves to a quiet place, ditch these crowds, and let's get some rest? Does that sound like a wage to you? Like you earned this? It sounds to me like a gift freely given from someone who loves us and cares for us and sees us. Don't clutter your life so much that so many people are coming and going that you don't even have time to eat. Finally, donate some Sabbath. I say this especially to those of you 
um, who are married and have young children, you know who you are. Uh, we did it four times. We remember the insanity of those years. Half the time, I actually don't remember what day of the week it was. Are you there right now? And so this beautiful idea of a full day every seven where you just get to be with God sounds like fiction. And in that life stage, it probably is. But here's the thing. If we adhere to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.4, and he says this, pointing to Jesus as a great example, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You may not get a whole day for yourself at certain life stages, but even intentionally carving out an hour or two for your loved one so they can get a Sabbath, even if it's just for an hour. What a gift that is to someone else to say, and not just, oh, I'm sure we'll just leave everything on pause until you come back, and then you can clean up that mess. It's while you're gone, I will do what you would be doing so that you could be truly free to just cease from your labor for like two hours. Parents of young kids, can I just encourage you to give your mate the gift of Sabbath? And if you can't both do it on the Sabbath, maybe go every other week and say, it's my week. I'm running away to Starbucks. I'll see you in four hours. Please leave me alone. I can't tell you what that will do for your soul and fringe benefit for your relationship. Just the gift of donating the gift of Sabbath rest to someone else around you. If you're wired as a worker bee, you're probably not going to listen again to this sermon online. <laughs> like The sooner I forget that one, the better for my system. Uh, maybe you're going to shield others from hearing it who you think aren't working hard enough already. But can I just challenge you that if that's the way you're feeling, there's something broken inside of you too about the way that you have learned to receive one of the greatest gifts God gave us, the gift of rest, which leads to peace. So I'll leave you with that thought. Let's just pause for a moment now and think about how I'm feeling. How are you feeling right now? What's your condition? First step to getting Sabbath rest is to admit that we need it. Say, God, I'm not feeling really whole. I, I really do need to honor you in this and to take a break and stop. Would you just consider the condition of your life right now? And if God is really nudging you, Listen to me. Take it. Would you even say, God, can you help me start today? Today is the first Sabbath Sunday after hearing these things. Would you make a commitment to even begin in your own way right now? So I'm going to leave you in quiet. Let's just have a moment where we just respond to God. you've come to church this morning in a broken state you're tired and weary you're groaning under the weight of a heavy burden I'll bet it's been your experience that while your friends and family will go with you to a point 
soon they grow weary of your burdens too. I wish we knew how to love each other better. The great news is that your heavenly Father always sees you. And his response to you is not suck it up, get back up, keep going. His response to you is, I see what you're groaning under. I see how tired, how weary your spirit is. I still have a plan for you. I still intend to use you. I still have a mission for you. But first, come to me. Pause and receive from him the gift of rest. No one will care about you as deeply as God cares. Would you recognize this morning that the one being in this universe who sees you most, who truly understands what it's like to be in your life, is the God who invites you first to rest and then from that place to rise and serve. another minute and receive, respond to that invitation from a God who loves you and cares for you. just end by saying this to you. Some of you in this room, um, you just are not aware at all that you need this rest. You feel fine. I told you I functioned for like 30 years on so little sleep and I thought that was normal. I thought I was fine. I remember one day I happened to get eight hours of sleep while I was overseas. And I woke up troubled because I had this new feeling in my body. And then I realized it was restedness. Like that's how you're supposed to feel when you wake up from sleep. You may be so used to running nonstop that you have learned to accept it as normal. But I challenge you that God has a blessing for you which you don't know about yet. Maybe you're so convinced you don't need a whole day, but when you take it, something will happen inside of you. So could I just invite those of you who in your spirit right now, you're feeling resistance, a desire to kind of trivialize this need as being for others. It's for you. You need to learn to stop and rest and the loved ones around you have been saying this for a long time and you've just brushed it off don't God made you and me this way to need it to require it 
So for those of you who are in that place, can I invite you to just quiet your heart and say, God, if I really need it, then bring me to a place where I try. I'll try. Just in faith, I'll try. I think you'd be surprised what God does. So I'll give you a moment, those of you in that place, to respond to God right now. And then we'll close in prayer and sing. God, we come before you, a congregation weary and heavy laden. Many of us are managing well enough. But if we're honest before you, we are so in need of Shabbat Shalom. So we pray, God, wherever you may find us, that today we would hear your invitation to come and find real rest in you, with you. Not the kind of rest that the world's distraction offers, but real rest, a real peace. We all say we want it, but we find it so hard to receive. So teach us to receive this good gift from your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're ready, please uh, rise. May God invite you into this rest which he wants to give you as a gift. He sees how weary, how broken, how heavy you are. He sees it to a depth that no other person can see, no matter how much you have tried to describe it. But he sees. And what he has for you is the gift of deep, restoring rest so that you would be May God somehow lead you to that rest today. May your Sabbath keeping begin today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. Have Shabbat Shalom, the peace of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.